Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we'll hear from lead pastor Dave Carroll as he teaches a message titled, Gratefulness and Its Enemies. Let's join him now. Luke chapter 17 verses 11 through 19 is where we'll be camping out. If you're new here, you can turn around and take notes on the back of your program. It will tell you most everything you need to know. So you can grab a pencil or pen and follow along. And uh, I've heard it said before that if you'll write it down on paper many times, God will spend some extra time writing it on your heart as you get to review it later on in the week. And so uh, make sure to grab your scriptures right there. And uh, as we enter the series, we have to confess it is very difficult to be grateful. As a matter of fact, I remember the very first time in life that I was ungrateful. And it was when I was six years old, and it was over Christmas. And I didn't get the Christmas present I wanted. I wanted a bumblebee transformer. That's right. Now, you may think that I might be either five years old or 35 years old, right, From, depending upon uh, what era you grew up in. Uh, but I'm, I'm 37, just so you know. Uh, but I remember uh, going all the way through the Christmas and not getting the gift and being upset, thinking I deserved Something, And then that ungratefulness moved a little bit further along when I was in the fifth grade. And I remember my parents uh, who had four boys uh, and, and all of them at this point in time were in baseball. And those of you who have kids in sports and you have multiple kids in sports, you know that um, football season is no longer the most fun season, right? Uh, as you drive here, there, and everywhere and your life is spent driving from this park to that park. Well, my parents um, forgot to sign us up. And I was just sure that I was going to be the next Don Mattingly. And, uh, and I thought that that was going to kill my chances of being a good baseball player. And I remember being ungrateful. But then I remember uh, moving on a little bit uh, further in life. You get into the high school, college dating scene. And, and there's a breakup that happens. And, and the relationship disintegrates. And you get a little ungrateful. But then as you move forward in life, the ungratefulness grows deeper and deeper and deeper. As life gets tougher and tougher and tougher. And I remember uh, losing, uh, in one year, losing all of my savings in retirement. And, and it was a very difficult year. And I remember looking at God and saying, God, why is this happening to me? What have I done? And, and, and instead of gratefulness, bitterness took its root deeper and deeper. And even recently, uh, with my eyesight, losing my eyesight, I remember uh, Gratefulness being difficult to grab a hold of and, and, and say, saying, God, even in this circumstance, I will praise you. I will thank you. Well, the, the point today is this. Gratefulness is possible, but we have to understand what it is biblically, and we also have to let go and fight the enemies of gratefulness. There are enemies out there looking to rob you, to rob me of a grateful heart. And so we're going to do this, all four messages in this series. We'll be going uh, today through an introduction. We're going to introduce the enemies of gratefulness. And then the next three weeks, we'll spend drilling down into each enemy. But I, what I'd like you to do is if you would stand with me, we're going to stand and, and say this aloud every week. And we'll practice twice today because it's the first, uh, the first uh, message in the series. Let's say 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 together as loud as we can from the New Living Translation. Ready? Go. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you 
who belong to Christ Jesus. Now let's say it one more time. Normally we'll just do it once from here on out, but let's say it again. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you, for you who belong to Christ Jesus. All right, you may be seated. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Over this next four weeks, commit 1 Thessalonians 5.18 to memory. It would be awesome if the last Sunday we could, we could take that one off the screen and we could say it together. This is what the, we're commanded to do in Scripture, to be thankful in how many circumstances? All, even our successes, even our failures. This is what God has asked us to do. Now, there's a great Scripture uh, that references what it means to be grateful, and it's found in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And if you have your Bible, turn there. Jesus is walking around Samaria and Galilee, and if you're new to the biblical areas, that's going to be a little bit to the northern part of Israel, the middle part for Samaria. Galilee will go to the north, and we're talking about going to the west of the Jordan River, so it's, it's kind of on the left if you're looking on the map of the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. You know, it's to the left, close to the Mediterranean Sea. Jesus is walking around, and we find him in verse 11 encounter 10 lepers, 10 people with skin disease that were quarantined. They weren't allowed to touch anybody. They weren't allowed uh, to really be sociable, if you will. They had to stay on the outside of the city so that no one else would get leprosy. And Jesus is going to run into these guys, and we're going to look for the reaction of one of them. Here it goes, verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, that's Jesus, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers, who stood far off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Everyone needs God's mercy, right? Everybody wants it. But what we're talking about is the response today. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. This was the commandment of obedience. Were the lepers healed right then and there when Jesus said, go? I believe they were, but there was an act of obedience that followed it. And so they went and showed themselves to the priest to confirm that they were indeed healed from the leprosy. You know, you see a little picture right there, uh, a little analogy of even baptism, how when we're saved, Jesus does the saving through his work on the cross. Baptism doesn't save us, but it's kind of like that. It's the go show yourself to the priest type of commandment where you obey Jesus in baptism. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, how many? How many? One, just one. How many were there? Ten. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned. And with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was, out of all the people, who was he? A Samaritan. If you're new to scripture, Samaritans, he wouldn't have known much about Jesus. He would have been considered an outcast. You, maybe some of the others might have been Jewish if Luke had the thought to mention that this guy was a Samaritan. You see, he wasn't even necessarily firmly of the faith. He was a half-breed. He was cast out. But it was the guy who had the most at stake who became the most grateful for what Jesus 
had done. So he fell down at his face, at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your, what's the word there? Your faith has made you well. It's your faith that has made you well. And so we need to first, before we get to the enemies of gratefulness, start to unpack what biblical gratefulness really is. And from 1 Thessalonians 5.18 and Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, we begin to understand what it means to be truly grateful in the eyes of God. First of all, I can tell you this. Those who have been forgiven much tend to be more thankful because the best gratefulness is always birthed. It's always cultivated. It always grows out of the most adversity. You see, silver spoons tend to create cartoonish, fictional pictures of life. And, and we lose gratefulness and we begin to feel like we're entitled to good things. I believe in America, we feel as though we're entitled to good things. But true gratefulness is born out of the biggest adversity. And gratefulness in scripture has the following elements. Let's go ahead and do the anatomy of gratefulness, looking at the story of the ten lepers and 1 Thessalonians 5.18 from the Greek language as well. First of all, write this down. Gratefulness requires a giver. Gratefulness requires a giver. Part of giving is a lot like succeeding at work, right? You bosses, what do they say? 90% of your job is what? Showing up, right? There has to be a person who shows up and gives. You see, out of 10 lepers, there, was, there were 10 who were healed. They were at the priests. Yay, I'm clean. I'm socially acceptable. I have no more disease. God has done all this in my life. And they were probably pretty happy. But there was only one person who converted from happiness over to gratefulness. And it was the person who turned around and showed back up to give glory to God. And gratefulness is always a gift that someone gives. You see, many times we're looking to receive gratefulness. Hey, will something make me happy? Can, can I come to church today and hopefully I can get gratefulness? No, gratefulness is always given by the person who had something happen. Secondly, gratefulness in Scripture is fueled by good and pleasing thoughts. By good and pleasing thoughts. You see, gratefulness has no Debbie Downers. You remember Debbie Downer from Saturday Night Live? The person who always sees the negative? Well, church was good today, except for they forgot to turn the heat on until right before, so it was a little cold during worship. That's what I remember it, you know? You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, that's the Debbie Downer. No. Good and pleasing thoughts. I can only imagine that this one leper who was cleansed, he had this, this choice to make. He shows himself to the priest and he begins to say, oh, I'm clean. This is amazing. And then he might have thought of the years, possibly even decades of hurt from having this skin disease, being thrown out 
by his culture, having no friends unless they had the same disease as him, not being accepted. He could have thought about all the negative things, and he could have felt entitled. I wonder what the other nine would have done. You know, as they didn't show gratefulness to God, instead they went their own way. I bet they lived a 50-50 life, living half their life mad at what their life had been and half their life glad that it wasn't that way anymore. But there was one guy who had good and pleasing thoughts. He had thoughts that were praiseworthy. He had thoughts that focused on the best things going. Let me ask you, what are the best things going in your life to be grateful? Where are the focus of your thoughts Are they praiseworthy? Are they of the best? Or are are they just a litany of downers that you live in, waking up every day, letting them knock you out? Gratefulness is always fueled by good and pleasing thoughts. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, if it's lovely, excellent, of good repute, think on what kind of things? These things. That's what scripture says. Here's another thing about gratefulness, and I believe this is very important. Write this down. Gratefulness in scripture materializes verbally. There is a verbal nature to gratefulness. Have you ever had someone who was trying to tell you thank you, but they never said anything, and so you wondered if they really appreciated something nice you've done for them? Because they just didn't say it. As a matter of fact, there have been times in life where people have done some nice things for me, and even some incredible things, and and I'll confess, I forgot to just say the words, thank you. And you know what ends up happening? I'll inevitably see that person a few days later, and I'll think, oh, I forgot to say thank you. And they did this awesome thing, and it becomes awkward. And then days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months. And I realize that there's an awkwardness on my part because I have not expressed greatness verbally. And here we see in verse 15 and 16, Look at that again. It says, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned with what kind of voice? A loud voice. A loud voice. And he glorified God. A loud voice. So gratefulness is verbal. This is why it's important. I believe when we stop and pray, uh, many of us have a prayer life that stops in our head. And all we do is we walk around thinking prayers. I believe that there's something praiseworthy. There's something that unlocks gratefulness in us. When we begin to pray verbally, even if it's in a corner because you're deathly scared of anybody hearing you, that's okay. If you're in your car, I believe that verbalizing your prayer unlocks a grateful heart toward God because I see it here in Scripture. And then here's the last thing about biblical gratefulness. Ultimately, gratefulness is always directed toward God. In other words, you can be grateful to other people, and that's a good thing. I'm not saying don't be. But true gratefulness that will bring you through the seasons of life always has its end result in being grateful foremost and first and holy to God above and heaven. Now, uh, Dave, why are you saying that? Well, the Greek word, if you're new to the Bible, the the Bible in the New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word is Eucharistia. Sound familiar? Yeah, it sounds like Eucharist, doesn't it? Uh, which is another word for communion or Lord's Supper, which we've heard of before. And this word Eucharistia actually means gratefulness. It even means verbally grateful, verbally grateful. And so isn't that interesting that even when we have communion, as God gives us something, right, he, 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 he gives us a remembrance of his work on the cross, 
we in turn, if we're participating in the Eucharist or communion or the Lord's Supper, we are offering up back in return for, for his work on the cross, gratefulness for his work. Do you see how that goes? That's what should be happening during communion, a grateful heart. And then here's a fifth one I wanted to add, and this is free. You could write it down, okay? It doesn't cost any extra. I believe the last verse is very important to understanding biblical gratefulness. It said, and he said to him, arise, go your way. I ask you to say it again. Uh, I asked you to say it earlier. I ask you to say it again. Your what? Your faith has made you well. It is your faith that makes you well. You see, ultimately, gratefulness only can go so far. It has a ceiling apart from faith in Christ. You see, there's something spiritual about gratefulness. Maybe you're trying to get a grateful heart for everything that's happened in your life, but you've never given your life to Christ. Or maybe you've given your life to Christ and surrendered to him and and depended on him for salvation, but you've never obeyed him. And you said, I just want the ticket to heaven, God, but I don't want all the other stuff. You may be struggling with gratefulness because gratefulness is always rooted in a biblical faith, trusting God even when you cannot see what the end result might be. And so um, the ultimate aim of our gratitude reveals, you ready for this? It reveals where our hope is placed. The ultimate aim for our gratitude reveals where our hope is placed. This last thing about gratitude. You see, if you're trying to depend on your spouse overly, and you're trying to be grateful to them, and and it's just not working out, and all of your gratitude, you're trying to pour it on, hoping that your spouse will return something to you. It shows that your gratefulness, your hope, is not rooted in God above. It can reveal misplaced hope. You see, if our gratefulness is not first to God, then chances are it's last to God, and we have to learn to place our hope in him and be grateful to him even in our darkest days. Now, Here we get to the enemies, and we're going to overview them today, and then we'll drill down the next three weeks. The enemies of gratefulness. How many of you have had an enemy before? Has anybody had, like, just an enemy? The funniest enemy I've ever heard of. You know, I've watched all the superhero movies. I I go watch Born Identity, and you see enemies. You see Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise going around fighting enemies. But the best enemy I've ever heard of in my life came from one of my boys during the second grade. Um, I have four boys, and one of them came and started teasing the other about this girl in class. And I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be a love story. I know it. It's going to be second grade love. And it wasn't that at all. It wasn't that at all. I began to pry into it in the car. Hey, tell me about this girl. And one calls out, it's his sworn enemy. And I thought, in second grade, you have a sworn enemy. And and the one who had the enemy, I'm trying to leave names out of this, you know, to protect them a little bit. But the one who had enemies, he said, yes, I don't talk to her and she doesn't talk to me. And we don't even look at each other, even if we're sitting across the table in the cafeteria. Why? And he goes, dad, it's my sworn enemy. And I went, I'm trying to track with you. I don't think I've I've seen this much angst in second grade. But there are enemies that are fighting your gratefulness. There, There are things out there to knock you down. There's the leprosy, if you will, 
that everybody can see. It's the thing in your life that has hindered you. It's been the chip on your shoulder. Maybe it's a past sin. Maybe it's an attitude where you walk in and you think, I'm always angry. That's my leprosy. Or maybe I haven't made money and I've been having to live homeless and I don't know if I can be grateful. There are enemies that fight us. And here's the best thing I know about bullies. What's the best way to beat a bully? You punch them in the nose, right? You punch them in the nose. And this is what we're trying to do through this series, Enemies of Gratefulness, is knock these enemies out so that at the end of this series, we can have a grateful heart toward God as we enter Thanksgiving and Christmas. And instead of counting all the things we don't have or all the things we can't get to do yet or all the things that haven't gone right this year, we get to put our thoughts in good and pleasing places to the Lord and show up and be truly grateful. We can give God the praise. We can verbalize it. We can focus it on him and thank him and give him the glory that we see the leper gave God. So here's your first enemy. Your first enemy is pride. Now, in these three enemies, there's a position that the enemy takes to block you and God. It blocks the gratefulness. It steps in the middle, wants to fight. So pride says this, I place myself in the way of a grateful heart. I place myself, and if a grateful heart is over here and I'm here, I'm actually elevating myself a little bit and I'm having one of those inward fights, those inward struggles. Pride is a humongous enemy. Here's one of your blanks. What does pride do? Pride disables our ability to give and verbalize gratefulness. Pride is the great disabler of giving and verbalizing our gratefulness. Why? Because pride causes neglect. When we get prideful, when we say, it's about me, it's about what I want, it's about the things that make me happy. When we have those kind of things creep in, it causes us to neglect not only our heavenly father, but our earthly relationships. And the net result of this is there's great distance. And then you reach around looking for someone to help you out of bitterness, out of hate, out of disappointment. You look for it and you can't find anyone. Why? Because you're prideful. If you're today stuck in a rut and you're looking around and there's no one to help you, it might be pride. It might be pride. You see, pride has this question. This is how you can tell. Here's the litmus test. Do I desire to be the greatest or do I desire to be the gratefulest? Mm, big difference. Big difference. Which one is you? But you say, what's the cure for pride? And we'll unpack this later. The cure for pride is this, celebration. Hey, aren't you glad to be a part of a church that celebrates? Hey, man, I've never heard more whistling in church than this morning, I think, right? Whoever whistled, you have a good whistle. I can't do that. But celebration is the cure. Celebrate the wins. You ready? What do I celebrate? Celebrate the wins of others. You know, it's very difficult when life starts pressing in on you and you think of your past and you start to get down, it's very difficult to celebrate other people. But if you want to break pride, pick someone that you don't want to celebrate and celebrate when God does something awesome for them. You know what? Celebrate the cross and the resurrection and the fact that Jesus is coming back. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back? Celebrate these things because these are the things that 
punch the enemy of pride right in the face. It bites their ear. And I'll let you get that one. That was a Mike Tyson reference, yes. Punches them in the face. They fall to the ground. And your heart wells up with this contentment and gratefulness and plenty that you've been lacking. Listen to James chapter 4. It's not on the screen or in your program. This was an add-in, something I just had to add in. James chapter 4, verses 2b through verse 3 and verse 10. Here's what it says. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. What's the antidote? Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Let's knock the enemy of pride out. Here's your second one. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. I'll tell you, anytime I hear that word, my, my heart sinks. Because forgiveness is difficult, isn't it? It's really difficult to forgive people that have wronged you. You know why this, what this enemy says? This enemy of unforgiveness says, I place other people in the way of a grateful heart. You see, if pride places yourself in the way of a grateful heart, unforgiveness you stay where you are and you put other people and you make them the object and aim of your scorn. And so instead of being grateful, you can be angry at them. You can hurt them. You can drag them down. You can make them pay. Unforgiveness knocks out a grateful heart and it places other people in the way of it. You see, this enemy of unforgiveness seeks to devour one thing. You ready for this? It's our thought life. This enemy of unforgiveness seeks to devour our thought life. It wants you to stew in ungratefulness. It wants you to stew in unforgiveness. It wants you to have your thoughts dominated by the person who has hurt you most. Instead of coming and being praiseworthy and giving glory to God, instead you're dominated. You wake up every day thinking about this person or this thing that happened to you and you will not forgive Unforgiveness causes distance in relationships. Well, pride pushes everybody away and there's nobody around. Unforgiveness keeps them just close enough to shoot bullets and be mad at them. So that you can say you have the relationship, but you know it's broken. See, the question here is this. Do I desire to be right? Or do I desire to be right with God. You see, because unforgiveness not only causes distance with our earthly relationships, but it causes distance with our heavenly relationships. Listen to Mark chapter 11, verse 25. It's not in your program. Again, this is an add-in. But Mark chapter 11, verse 25 says this. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that you're Father, who also is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. Whoa. You see what happens here? There's a relationship between our forgiveness and us experiencing the forgiveness of God. And so many times, this kills a grateful heart because we're not forgiving, and then we don't understand God's forgiveness fully because we don't practice it. And next thing you know, Next thing you know, this enemy has knocked us out and we walk around like we're chewing on grapefruit. You know what I'm saying? So what's the cure for unforgiveness? You can write this down. Freedom 
is the cure for unforgiveness. Freedom. Free the people who have hurt you. Forgive them. Does it mean you have to be their best friend? No. Does it mean you need to free them? Yes. You know what? Some of us walk around with bitterness from the past, bitterness from business deals that have gone wrong, bitterness from divorce, bitterness from kids who have gone away, bitterness because life hasn't been all that, that, that we thought it would be. But here's what I know. The key that unlocks the door in the room of bitterness that gives you freedom, people who are stuck in this chamber of bitterness, the key that unlocks the door is always on the inside of the door. And unforgiveness shouts through the room, someone unlock this, someone, I deserve, I deserve this. I'm not going to forgive you unless you unlock this door. And all the while, the key's sitting on the ground. And the key's on the inside, and if we pick it up and turn the lock, freedom occurs, and that enemy falls to the ground. And the final enemy, the third enemy, is pain. You see, if pride says, I place myself in the way of a grateful heart, Unforgiveness says, I place other people in the way of a grateful heart. Pain says, I place God in the way of a grateful heart. Now, this is the most dangerous enemy of gratefulness. Why? Because God belongs on the throne. And anytime we start blaming God for the pain in our life, we run across the danger of taking God off the throne and asking him to be our whipping boy. And that's not where God likes to be. You know why? Because he's God. This enemy, write this down, this enemy of pain diverts our attention away from God. It makes God uh, some, some guy that just causes us pain or some cosmic force, and it takes away the nature of who he is as a very personal God who is just yet loving. Here's what pain causes. Pain causes a fight. This is where the enemy takes off the gloves. Have you ever been in a real fist fight before? I remember in high school, I went in a boxing match where we put gloves on, and, and I thought, I remember hitting someone with a glove for the first time, and I went, this is cute, <laughs> you know, hitting with a glove. Because I remember being in a fist fight with my brothers, and here's the thing. When that fist landed, it hurt bad. And pain is where the gloves come off. Pain is where the gloves come off, and the anger happens, and it's directed solely at God. Why is my life this way? Why is there so much pain in the world? I've talked to people I love dearly who can't wrap their mind around loving God because of the pain they see in the world. And what they've done is they've taken God off the throne and placed him in the way of a grateful heart. Here's the question, the litmus test, if pain is your enemy. Will I blame or will I bless the Lord? Will I blame or will I bless the Lord? What is the cure to pain? There is one word, surrender. Surrender. There was a guy named Jacob in the Bible. <laughs> he tried to wrestle with God, and he walked out with a really cool strut. God touched his hip, and he began to limp around to remember that when he fought with God, God was a little bigger than he was. God was going to win, and Jacob couldn't find peace in his life until he surrendered, okay, God, Whatever it is you want, I'm in. I'm in. And the pain subsided and the gratefulness welled. And from the gratefulness came great purpose in his life. 
Look back at Luke chapter 17, verse, verse 19, as we come to a close. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Ultimately, it is your, say it again, your faith that has made you well. Here's your final blank. Our ability to be grateful is directly tied to having faith that makes us well. And when we live in faith, we can fight the enemies of ungratefulness. I want to invite you to take your connection card out, and I invite the band up as we come to a time of response. Today, as we come to this time, I want to ask you a question. Do you need to fight the enemies of ungratefulness in your life, or do you know someone who needs to fight the enemies of ungratefulness? Is there something that's gripped your heart for maybe, you know what, listen to this, maybe it's gripped your heart for your entire life. Something that you haven't been able to let go of, that you haven't been able to give God praise, you haven't been able to focus your thoughts on what is good and pleasing to the Lord, you haven't been able to verbalize it, you haven't been able to direct it toward God because stuff has been in the way. Here's the good news. We have the best word picture of, grateful, of a grateful heart in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? That we have the best picture of gratefulness who was nailed to a cross. His, ble- his blood was dripping down him. And he was innocent. He had done nothing. He hadn't deserved it. And yet, he was able to say, God, in spite of this pain, not my will but yours be done. He was able to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he did it with humility, counting himself as nothing to kill the enemy of pride. That's our Savior. That's what he did. That's how he modeled gratefulness. And today, if you come to him, if you will bring your junk It's okay. He can turn even the most sour person, the most bitter person into a grateful heart. Isn't that what we want to become today? So for response, I ask you two questions. Do you need to fight this enemy of uh, uh, the enemies of gratefulness and the enemy of ungratefulness with salvation? We learn today that gratefulness will always come out of faith. And if you walked in today without a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is the first way you can knock them all out. You see, when you come to Jesus, the enemies fall. We are forgiven. We are free. If you need to do that, there's a prayer on the back of your card. And it's not a magical prayer, but it kind of lets you know how you can... Surrender to Jesus Christ by admitting you're a sinner, by believing on him, that he is God in his work on the cross, and confessing that you need him. And then you turn and live a life for him called repentance. But today, here's the next question for the majority of us in the room. There are three words I gave you, and I want to ask you, which word needs to be your focus for the week? One is celebration. Do you need to begin to celebrate the good things that God has given you in your life, even if there's only one thing that's good right now, do you need to celebrate them? Maybe God's given you a bunch and you've taken them for granted. Do you need to celebrate? Here's the next word, freedom. Who do you need to free? 
Do you need to free yourself this week and say, God, forgiveness will rule and reign in my heart? Or do you need to free other people and stop putting them between you and a grateful heart and taking aim at them? And the last word is this, surrender. Have you been fighting God? And do you need to put down the gloves, walk out of the ring and say, not my will, God, but yours be done this, this week. I'm done fighting. I want to lead us in prayer. And we'll stand and sing. And you do business with God. If you need to mark a decision down, baptism or salvation, or you have a prayer request, this would be a good time as well as we sing to write it down and let us know so that we can help you and pray for you. Let's, let's stand right now and go to the Lord in prayer before we sing this song. God, we confess today that gratefulness is elusive. God, it's slippery. Lord, I, I confess that there are many weeks where I'm more busy counting my hurt than counting my blessings. But God, would you change our hearts here and now? Would you allow us to be people who run to you like the leopard, who run back in gratefulness, giving you praise and honor and glory because you deserve it? God, we thank you for the grace you've given us. God, we thank you for the roof over our heads. Father, we thank you for a church to worship in. Father, we thank you for even the hurtful places in our life that have developed character that we could have never had otherwise. Father, we thank you for the mercy you give us. God, we ask today that as we sing, that we would be grateful that we no longer stand accused for those who are in Christ, but Father, we are forgiven and we are free. Lord, would you allow us to walk out of here knowing that you have blessed us beyond measure. Help us to have eyes to see it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Church. You can find out more about our church or listen to other messages at elevationbillings.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.